0: Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 11. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment, the moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? But him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand you shall lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Thanks Anna Carnes. Well, for for Advent, what we're doing is we're looking at these servant songs that uh, show up in the book of Isaiah, and uh, we've seen that these songs are really about Jesus, and so the, this What we're doing this Advent season is really just an extended meditation on the person and the work of Jesus. And to to get into this passage uh, that Anna just read for us, I want to think about just for a second um, the role that YouTube plays in our life. I think it's I think it's fascinating the the way that we relate to this thing because you know in one way we, we know that it's there for just mindless distraction. We've all burned countless hours. Watching cat videos and uh, America's Got Talent performances and fail compilations and things like that—we know that it's there to just turn our brains off for a second. But it's also there—at least I, I, you know, in my life—it has become kind of the go-to resource for how to do stuff. Like, if you want to—if you—if you don't know stuff, you go to Google. If you want to know how to do stuff, you go to YouTube. So, for example, like I don't know. Six weeks ago, I broke the sun visor in my car, just snapped off, and um, bought new ones on Amazon, but I don't know how to replace them. I don't know how to install sun visors. Go to YouTube, watch the video, bam, perfectly installed sun visors. Did it. Uh, A month ago, I wanted to make homemade enchilada sauce. Have no idea how to make homemade enchilada sauce, but you know who does? know how to make homemade enchilada sauce? YouTube, watched it, bam, delicious homemade enchilada sauce. If you wanna know how to tie a certain knot, YouTube. You wanna know how to install batteries in your garage door opener, YouTube. Wanna know how to do a certain magic trick that you saw David Blaine do, YouTube. These are all things I've actually searched in recently. Um, but you know you think about that's the that's the role that it plays. You watch these how to videos and it shows you how to do it Now, I bring that up because the passage before us is in some way it functions some way, uh, like a YouTube video. Jesus is being presented in this passage as as a model as an example of how to live the life that we are called to live i mean if you if you were to go into YouTube and type in what what is what is the good life? How do I live the life?" God wants me to live. This is the video that would pop up. It is to say, look at Jesus. He is the model for us. He he is the prototype for what every human being is supposed to look like. The life that God wants everyone on this planet to live can be modeled, summarized, referenced in Jesus. So let's look at um, two things this morning. Let's look at what, are we called to, what is the life that we're called to live? What does that actually look like? And then how can we live it? So what, are we call, what is the life that we're called to? And then how can we do it? First, what is this life that we're called to live? What, what does it look like? And I want to walk through this passage and, and highlight three different features of this life that God calls us to live. The first one you could summarize this way. God wants, to live, wants us to live a life that is marked by dependence. Dependence on him and dependence on his word. Let me show you where I get it from. And By the way, this passage, the whole first part of this passage is from the perspective of the servant, of Jesus himself. And so he says this in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. The word taught there is uh, the Hebrew word for disciple. He's saying, um, the Lord has, has instructed me. And it's, you get this picture of daily uh, dependence on the Lord and on his word. Look at verse uh, four. It says, morning by morning, later, later at the end of verse four, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Morning after morning. Day after day, it's like Jesus w- wakes up and his ears are open, ready to be taught, ready to be, ready to receive what the Lord has for him. And you kind of have this picture of God as the mentor and Jesus as the mentee who has apprenticed himself to God. And uh, in, in some ways, you, you know, there are, there are fields where as you are being trained, you have to shadow someone who's, you know, older and more experienced. So if you're in medical school or whatever, you'll, you'll shadow a, a surgeon or you'll, you'll shadow a, a doctor, which means you kind of follow them around and observe and ask questions. And you're, you're absorbing and gleaning as much as you can from the professional, somebody who has the most amount of experience. That's the picture that you have with Jesus. So when the servant of the Lord actually shows up in the person of Jesus, what do you see him do? You see him do this, constantly withdrawing to be alone with God. Let me read you a passage. Luke 5, verse 15 says this. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He's constantly getting alone with God, constantly saturated himself with God's word. In fact, there's a verse in John 8 Uh, verse 28 that says this, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. Meaning, I don't even say the words unless the Father has first taught me. You see this picture of complete, utter dependence on God and on God's words. Now, you you, you see that way of living and that is like a direct head-on collision with our impulses, And with the messaging and the narrative of the modern culture that we find ourselves in. Because the culture around us pounds into us this idea that no one decides what is right or wrong except you. You are the one that gets to determine what is true, you are the one that is the ultimate arbiter of what truth is. It's your truth, you decide. Which doesn't mean that we don't listen to voices. We do. We listen to tons of different voices. Some of us listen to influencers on social media and they tell us how to organize our life or what to wear or whatever. Uh, Some of us, you know, we all have our podcasts that we listen to. We listen to our favorite people that tell us different things. And some of us listen to political pundits or political figures. There's all these voices that are out there, but we have given ourselves veto power. All these other voices are opinions. They're consultants, and we get to decide which of those we like, which of those we're going to reject. It's like going through the buffet line of truth, and we say, oh, I like what that person's saying. I'll believe that. I'll take a little bit of that. Oh, that seems kind of weird what that person's saying. I'm going to let them believe that. And we do the same thing even with the Bible. Christians in the church, we, we come to the Bible, and we say, There are parts of the Bible I can get behind. I like some of the stuff that's in the Bible. I like the love stuff. I like the grace stuff, the forgiveness stuff. There's some other stuff, though, that feels outdated, feels offensive, feels, I'm going to let that, I'm going to let you all believe that, I'm going to believe this. And so we, we kind of go through life and give ourselves ultimate veto power of what we think is truth, which is natural, but it runs totally counter to what you see Jesus doing. Jesus clings to God and he clings to God's word like it's oxygen. You, God, tell me what is truth. You shape reality for me. You even give me the very words to speak. So here's this first feature of the life that God's calling us to live and it's utter dependence and utter dependence on God's word and it clashes with our autonomy. It clashes with our self-sufficiency So it's already challenging, but we've got two more to go. Here's the second feature. The second feature that you see of this life that God's calling us to live is care for others. Care for others. You might ask the question, okay, why does this servant, why is he so dependent on knowing God's words? What's the reason? Well, look at verse 4. We'll just read the rest of it. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught why so that i may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary one of the reasons why the servant wants to know what the words of god are are so that he can sustain the weary with those very words it's this others oriented disposition i want to know god's word not so that i can win arguments Not so that I can feel better about myself for being theologically correct. Not so that I can manage my life and engineer my life to have the least amount of pain and difficulty. That's not the reason why. Jesus absorbs and saturates himself in the word of God so that he can care and sustain those who are weary, those who are exhausted, those who are Burdened, those who are hanging on by a thread. And in fact, when the servant shows up in the person of Jesus, what do you see? You see unparalleled concern for the weary. He says this in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls and all throughout the gospels you see the burnt out and the broken and the burdened and the weary all flocking to Jesus because they know he's safe they know that if they show up in his presence, they're not going to be met with disdain. They're going to be met with concern and attention and with the very words of life that they will be sustained. Now, again, you, you, you hear this feature and you start thinking about it and you see this clashes with everything inside of me and it clashes with everything that the culture around us is kind of drilling into us because Everything in me and everything out there is saying to us, if you want a really good life, the name of the game is self-promotion, self-advancement. Climb the ladder. Go accomplish your goals. Go build a name for yourself. Go build your brand. That's what it's about. You advancing. Uh, I read in the news last week or so, Jeff Bezos is giving away like a gazillion dollars to charity, which is great. That's, it was uh, an amazing article to think, man, he's giving away that much money. He has a ton of money. But you think, okay, and I don't know if this is fully true, but, but giving charity came, at least the way that the story was presented, after he built his empire. Now, maybe he's been generous throughout his entire career. He probably was. I don't know. But at least the way that the story is presented to us culturally is go build your empire. And if you're successful enough, if you've got enough spare money laying around that you can part with, then maybe you can think about some other people. Then maybe you can be concerned for others as an afterthought. Self first. But here's the thing. If we're driven by self-advancement, the way that we relate to people radically changes. If the name of the game for you is, I got to climb the ladder. I got to go make a name for myself. I got to go build my brand. People either become obstacles or vehicles. Obstacles in the sense of they're, they're getting in the way. They're blocking me from doing what I want to do. They're blocking me from the goals I'm trying to get in life. So I want nothing to do with them. Or they're vehicles. They're beneficial to me. I can use them. them. Me associating with them advances me and helps me with my advancement project. They're either obstacles or they're vehicles. But both ways of relating to people are miles away from how Jesus relates to people. Care for the weary, care and concern, wanting to know God's word so that he can sustain them with those very words. You see the difference? Care for others, especially those who are weary, it totally clashes with this self-advancement thing that we have going for us. Now, here's the third feature. The third feature you could basically summarize and say, it's trust, trust in God. Look at verse uh, 5. It says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward, meaning God has assigned me this really challenging task, and I haven't backed down from it. I haven't chickened out on it, even though it was going to be painful. And then you see in the very next verse what he is going to endure, what he does endure. Verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. That he's willing to endure the disgrace and the humiliation of being spat upon, of being beaten, of having his beard ripped out. Why is he willing to go through that? Because he knows that God is going to vindicate him in the end. God's going to work out everything in God's timing. That's his trust. Look look at verse, um, this is what 7 through 9 are about. Look at the end of verse 7. He says, I know that I shall not be put to shame. And then verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Who is my adversary? Who will declare me guilty? Meaning, nobody has that power. Nobody but God, and God will vindicate me. No one's going to be, no enemy of mine is going to be able to overthrow what I trust God's going to be able to do. And so when the servant shows up in the person of Jesus, what do you see? He's been assigned with this task, go to the cross, bear the punishment and the weight of the world on your shoulders. And Jesus says, okay, I will endure the mockery and the torture and the brutality and the the horror of it all because I know, I'm going to trust you, God, that you will vindicate me. That after I am murdered and executed three days later, you will raise me and you will trade my disgrace and my humiliation for exaltation. Now again, this calling to live your life, trusting God will vindicate you, it, it clashes with our instinct of self-reliance. We don't want to trust God. We want to trust us. So we think things like, well, if it's going to be done right, I have to do it myself. I have a friend of mine who has a child, he, a young child, and he was telling me that <coughs> his uh, daughter's first sentence, first formed sentence out of her mouth was, quote, no. Me do it, and it's like, oh, that's not just in her heart. That's in that's the default setting of every single human being's heart. Nobody had to taught teach her to say that. She just came out saying it. It, it reminds me of uh, a line from Hamilton. Um, you remember in the song Hurricane? Uh, I, I include it in your bulletin. He he says this. Um, uh, and when my prayers of God were met with indifference, I picked up a pen. I wrote my own deliverance. I wrote my way out. It's, it's this idea of I'm praying to God. seems like it's met with indifference, falling on deaf ears. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to deliver myself. I'm going to save myself. And you see this play out actually at the very end, these last two verses. Look at verse 10. It says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. See how the servant is being lifted up like a a, a model, an example? He trusts in the Lord when he's in the middle of darkness. Be like him. Rely on God like him. When you're in darkness, pitch black darkness, you don't know which way is up you can't see your way out but in the middle of this darkness and this confusing disorienting place the servant trusts god and then look at this look at this way this ends this this is very bizarre verse 11 behold all you who kindle a fire who equip yourselves with burning torches Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. What? Here's what this is saying. If you find yourself in darkness as well, and you don't know which way is up, and you light a torch, you just you burn a torch so that you can see, so that you can rescue yourself This is saying that's ultimately going to end in grief for you. The way forward is completely counterintuitive. It's to actually rely on God to get you out of the darkness rather than lighting a torch. That's what it's saying. It's confronting this self-reliant impulse in us. Now, you step back. Look at this whole passage and say, okay, here's the life that God's calling all of us to live. Depend on God and his word like it's oxygen. Care for others, especially those who are weary. And trust that God will vindicate you even in the middle of the darkness. Just do that. Just be like the servant. Go and do likewise. That's the life that God's calling us to live. Now you might be wondering, okay, how do I do that? Well, let's look at the second thing. How in the world do we live that life? Because that seems hard. Uh, To answer that question, I want you to think about the Beatles for a second. You may have seen the documentary Get Back that came out a year ago. It's uh, directed by Peter Jackson, you know, the guy that did The Lord of the Rings. And the the gist of that documentary, if you haven't seen it, was that uh, the Beatles were playing in this concert, and they were going to showcase this new album only problem was they didn't have a new album they had to come up with one and so they go into this kind of studio warehouse space for two and a half, three weeks, they're three weeks away from this concert to write a new album and they invite this film crew to come in and film them the entire time filming their creative process and so they did that, they bring in this film crew, they're sitting around, they're writing all these songs and and uh, there's uh, 60 hours of film footage that they recorded, 150 hours of just audio recordings that they had. So they did all this recording, and then it just sat on a shelf for decades, just sat, nobody had seen it. Then Peter Jackson comes along and takes it off the shelf, watches all of it, boils it down, edits it, and then comes up with this documentary that's eight hours long, which is still it's a long documentary. And, um, but it's amazing. Even though it's, it's, it can be boring at times because they're all just kind of sitting around and smoking and writing songs and arguing with each other. And you're like, this is, it gets slow at points. But my, my favorite part of the whole documentary, Paul McCartney's sitting there and they're, they're realizing we need like new songs. We need to write something like new today. And so he sits down with his guitar and he starts playing this lick. And he just starts humming. And you're like, that sounds familiar. And you start watching, and then he goes, get back. Get back. You're like, oh my word. The song Get Back is like, coming into existence in front of my very eyes. You're watching him, like, do it, and he's kind of working on it, and the other guys start to jump in, Ringo gets on the drums, and he starts playing, and they're, they're, you, you watch them kind of craft this song that is, you know, it's this musical masterpiece. I, you're watching the creative process of the greatest band ever, in my opinion. You know, they're tied with run one, one direction. But it's it's um, but you're watching, you're watching history happen in front of your very eyes. Now, if you're to take that documentary and just think about it like a YouTube video and say, okay, do you want to write a musical masterpiece that people will be singing for decades to come? Just do that. Just sit down with a guitar and just come up with it. Now you hear that and you think, I can't do that. I'm not Paul McCartney. I don't have that. I can't, I can't, you can't do that. It's crushing. In the same way, if you watch this YouTube video in Isaiah chapter 50, and all it is to you is a how-to video of how to live the life that you're called to live, it's going to feel crushing because you can't do it. You're going to think, I don't depend on God or his word daily, like it's oxygen, I don't care for others. In fact, my whole life is really driven about me meeting my goals and my needs, and then I get exhausted and then demand that other people care for me when I'm weary. And I don't trust that God's going to vindicate me or validate me. That's why I look for validation from my work or from my boss or my children or my spouse or whatever. So how in the world do you do this? Here's um, what Tim Keller says, pastor in New York, I included it in your bulletin as well. He says this, Jesus Christ as only an example will crush you, but Jesus Christ as the lamb will save you. And here's what he means. If all Jesus is for us is a model for us to follow, that is not good news. It is terrible news. Because that standard is way too high, and we all fall short, and it crushes all of us. This would be like you drowning in the ocean, gasping for air, just about to go under the water, and a boat comes along next to you, and somebody leans over, and they're holding an iPad with a YouTube video showing you how to swim. Is that what you need in that moment? Somebody showing you how to swim? No, what you need is somebody to get off the boat and jump into the water and rescue you. And that's what Jesus does. Before he is our model, he's our mediator. He jumps into the water. In fact, the whole reason why he's doing all of this stuff. In this passage is because we can't because we have failed every single one of us prefer a life of self-sufficiency and self advancement and self-reliance and we're drowning in the ocean dead in our trespasses and sins and so Jesus comes for us and lives the life that we can't live lives the life that we've failed to live he dies the death that we deserve to die he gets the beard pulled and his back exposed and beaten and spit upon. He endures the shame and the mockery. And he gets raised three days later just like his father said he would. And if you are willing to turn from your self-reliance and your self-sufficiency and your self-advancement and rest in Jesus as he is freely offered in the gospel, you will be saved too. In fact, this is why in verse 9, when he says, who will declare me guilty, you're able to say that as well. If I'm in Jesus, if God is for me, who can honestly be against me? He's first our Savior, then he's our model. And once we know that order, once we get the order right, and we realize, okay, he saves me by grace, he empowers me by his spirit, I belong to him now, In the freedom of that, in the joy of that, I can lean into this life that he's called me to live, and it's going to be messy. It's going to be ups and downs, but I'm free, and you know what it starts to look like? Three things. You start to apprentice yourself to God and to his word. If Jesus was dependent on God and his word, how much more so do we need to be? As we get to the end of 2022 and we start a new calendar year, 2023, that might be a great opportunity for you to think about what would a Bible reading plan look like for me? Maybe it's just this week, you taking the time to open up and reading the Bible for the first time on your own. Maybe you've never done that before. This is what it starts to look like, to apprentice yourself so that his words start to saturate you. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing, that we start to care for others especially the weary. Do people know that you're a safe person? Are you a safe person? Are you the kind of person that somebody can show up to and they can be messy, they can be exhausted, they can be weary, and they will know that they will be met with care and attention and that you're not in the way, you're not a, you're not a burden. Maybe the way to do that, maybe the way to begin to cultivate that in you is to have people into your home. Invite people over to your apartment, into your house, and just provide them with dinner and be curious about who they are and what their story is and get to know somebody. Takes getting outside of yourself to start to care for others. And then the last thing is that we trust that God will vindicate us which is something I feel more and more in my bones the older I get. Because if you trust Jesus, it's so easy to be embarrassed by that. Especially when, when, when the majority of the world, and you feel this maybe a little bit more intensely in Midtown, if you trust Jesus, the majority of the world thinks you're an idiot and that you're brainwashed and that um, you're just a fundamentalist wacko and you should not be taken seriously. And that's hard. But here's the reality. One day, someday, Jesus will be revealed as the king of the universe that he claims to be. And if you are in him, if you trust in him, you will be vindicated. It will come out that, that you were right, that he was right, that you are in him, and he's going to make everything okay again. So what do we do? Apprentice yourself to God care for others, especially the weary, and trust that one day you will be vindicated despite how idiotic and embarrassed you might feel right now. Consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, I pray that as we look to Jesus and fix our eyes on him for just a few moments, I pray that he would give us fresh encouragement, remind us once again that uh, he rescues us, delivers us, saves us, that we are in him, and he is ours, and we are his. And Father, I pray that that would would transform our actual lives, that we would find ourselves more driven to give ourselves over to you and to others, not out of guilt, not out of pressure, not out of some sense of religious duty, not out of pride or fear, but purely out of love, out of gratitude, out of worship. Help us to live this life that you've called us to, empowered by your grace and by your spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.